0: Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Our Lord Jesus Christ we thank you and we praise you for you are the author and the perfecter of our faith we thank you Lord Jesus that in eternity past in the covenant of grace with your father you agreed to come into this sinful world and you agreed to die for the sins of your people to live the life that your people could never live. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for the great forgiveness we have in you that does not just come through through frivolous things but through your very body and your very blood that you sacrificed for us on the cross as your father's wrath was poured out on us. Lord, we pray on you on your on you instead of on us. Lord, we praise you that this sinful woman though She did not see the gospel as clearly as we see it, responded with faith and love, and so revealed that her sins had been forgiven. Lord, we praise you through the power of your spirit that you would open our eyes and help us, Lord, to see Jesus. Lord, to see who he is and to respond to him in repentance and faith. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We worship you. We love you. Help us, Lord, to do these things for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever had a time when you wept uncontrollably? What caused it? What made you cry like that? Was it physical pain or was it emotional pain? I think most of us would say that emotional pain produces more tears than physical pain. And sometimes even the physical pain can lead to emotional pain that produces more tears. I see this with my kids. When when they, they get hurt, they'll cry. But when their feelings are hurt, they'll cry torrents of tears. Well, what has made you cry torrents of tears? Was it relational strife? The death of a loved one. Despair over the future or the past. Well, sometimes our tears are a a strange mix of, a a strange combination of of regret and joy. And I think that's what we're going to see this morning as the woman in our passage cries torrents of tears in the presence of Jesus. But there was another person in this passage. Simon the Pharisee, who will host Jesus at this dinner. And he sees the woman as a stark contrast to himself. She is a sinner. He is a Pharisee. His response to Jesus is also starkly contrasted from that of the woman. She cries a river. He doesn't shed a tear, though he should have. Jesus will have a starkly different response to the woman and to the Pharisee as well. Again, we're seeing that there are two kinds of people in this world. We're seeing the polarization between both groups increasing. There's no middle ground. There are those who follow Jesus, and there are those who will not. And the composition of each group is contrary to cultural patterns. This passage provides a picture of repentance, and it provides a picture of self-righteousness. We're going to see how the self-righteous and the repentant relate to Jesus. We're also going to see how Jesus relates to the self-righteous and to the repentant. We will witness Jesus rebuking one and forgiving the other. We're going to see how one responds with love and the other rejection. This passage is an illustration of what we saw last week in Luke chapter 7 verse 34. That the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus will prove himself to be indeed the friend of tax collectors and sinners. I see four main sections in this passage. In verses 36 to 38, we'll see the woman's response to Jesus. And then in verse 39, we'll see the Pharisees' response to the woman and to Jesus, but particularly to Jesus. Then in verses 40 to 47, we'll see Jesus' response to the Pharisee. And then in verses 48 to 50, Jesus' response to the woman. This morning, we're going to consider how faith responds to Jesus. We're going to see how unbelief responds as well. So first of all, the woman's response to Jesus in verses 36 to 38. This passage begins with a dinner invitation. Now the host of this dinner party may surprise you given what we've seen so far in Luke's Gospel account. The host is a Pharisee. Four times in the first four verses we are told that he is a Pharisee. Now we don't expect Jesus to be invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner because we've seen the conflict rising between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees, remember, whose name means separate, saw themselves as the bastions of moral and doctrinal purity. They saw it as their responsibility to evaluate who Jesus was. Remember how in chapter 5 they came en masse from every city and every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem scrutinizing Jesus. Remember how they called him a blasphemer for forgiving sins. Saying who can forgive sins but God alone. Remember the last dinner party that Jesus was invited to at the house of Levi, the tax collector. The Pharisees used that occasion as another opportunity to criticize Jesus. They said that Jesus, they criticized him for eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. They, they went to the disciples of Jesus with this criticism, and Jesus responded, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke. 5, 31, and 32. Luke makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is concerned about sinners. Praise God that Jesus is concerned about sinners. That means Jesus is concerned about you and Jesus is concerned about me for we are sinners. So when this dinner party invitation comes we wonder what is this Pharisee up to? Is this a friendly meal? Is the Pharisee genuinely interested in who Jesus is and in learning from Jesus? Or is he ambivalent? Is Is he yet to make up his mind as to who Jesus is? Or does he have an ulterior motive? Is he inviting Jesus so we can get a closer look to scrutinize him? Well, the fact that The Pharisees have been rejecting Jesus so far does not prohibit him from accepting the invitation. Jesus has a plan and a purpose as well. The Pharisee trusted that at least Jesus was ceremonially clean so that he could eat dinner with him. Now they were likely eating this meal in an outdoor courtyard as they reclined at the table lying prone. They were leaning comfortably on cushions with their legs trailing out behind them. They began to eat. And then the scene shifts. As a woman enters, every eye in the room locks on her. Conversation would have been reduced to hushed whispers. She is everything this Pharisee isn't. Everything about her just doesn't seem to fit into this scene. The woman is not introduced by her name, but by her reputation. Now, we talked about reputation last week. Luke tells us that she is a woman of the city who was a sinner. She was a sinner. This is a term that Luke uses repeatedly. Now, we know that we are all sinners, but the Pharisees did not consider themselves to be such. But the reference here, made in this way, in conjunction with what's said later, makes it appear that this woman was, in fact, a harlot. And we can't know for certain what form of sinner she was, but that really doesn't matter. Either way, she was a woman of ill repute. Now evidently, this wasn't a private meal. It was actually culturally appropriate for visitors to come into into such a meal like this and to be able to stand on the outside and to observe and to listen to the conversation that was taking place. But this woman is here as far more than a spectator. And she certainly would not have been welcome at this meal in the house of a Pharisee. She is in every sense an outsider. Exactly the sort of person that Jesus came to minister to. But the sort of person that the Pharisees refused to interact with. But her desire to see Jesus overcame any concerns of rejection by the Pharisee or his other guests. The woman has brought something with her. It was a box made of alabaster, a white, translucent, expensive stone that was often carved into objects like, like uh, boxes and figurines and things like that. When time seems to slow down as Luke describes her every action in minute detail. He's bidding you to watch her very closely. The woman says nothing, but her actions speak loudly. The woman produces an alabaster, this alabaster box, It's full of perfume, and she approaches Jesus to anoint him with the perfume. But as she does so, she's overcome with emotion. Her heart overflows with love, and tears begin to flow, rolling down her cheeks and raining onto Jesus' feet. She is so overcome with emotion that she bends down and lovingly wipes his feet with her hair. For a Jewish woman to let down her hair in public was considered shameful. Normally a woman would only let her hair down in private with her husband. But it gets even more shocking than that as she begins to kiss his feet in an act of honor and thankfulness and humility. Her kisses are described here using the same intense verb that Luke also uses to describe the kisses of the father at the return of the prodigal son. Then she proceeds to anoint the feet of Jesus with the perfume. Now, an ointment where the head would have been normally what, what is anointed. But here she points it, pours it on Jesus' feet. Again, this is a mark of deep humility. This woman has come to repentance and faith in Christ. She knew her sinfulness, and she was so overcome by the forgiveness that she has received from Christ that she wanted to tangibly demonstrate her gratitude towards the Lord. All four gospel accounts describe a woman anointing Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and John appear to be describing a different event just prior to Jesus' crucifixion. But Luke is presenting another This one is much earlier in Jesus' ministry. The other Gospels focus on the reaction of the disciples, notably Judas, on the supposed waste of the expensive perfume, whereas Luke's emphasis is on the forgiveness from Jesus and the love towards Jesus. Friends, before anyone will seek forgiveness of Christ, they need to have an awareness of their sin. And they need to know that Christ is the one to whom they must go for forgiveness. Evidently, somewhere along the way, this woman had heard Jesus' call to repentance and faith, and she had received his offer of love and forgiveness. Now you have heard Jesus' call to repentance and faith. Have you received? Have you received his offer of love and forgiveness. How did you respond to Jesus? Were there for you, like this woman, tears of, of contrition and tears of joy at the forgiveness that you've received? Now, most of you know my testimony. You, you know that I was saved in a psychiatric hospital, consumed by paranoia and broken by my sinful and immoral lifestyle and drug abuse. And you know how on that Sunday morning I found myself in the the lounge of this psychiatric hospital in a locked ward watching television as an evangelist proclaimed anyone can be forgiven if they turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I cried out to the Lord saying whatever is left of this wreck of a life is yours. Please forgive me. Now I know that I shed plenty of tears prior to and after my conversion. But there was an event two days after, the day that I was discharged from the hospital, when my my mother took me, picked me up, and brought me to their house, and and when I just I was sitting in their backyard on the on the grass, just marveling at the forgiveness that I'd seen, marveling that, that the burden of sin that I had carried had been taken by Christ. I was uh, I would later on relate this to uh, in Pilgrim's Progress when when. Christian is, when he arrives at the foot of the cross, the the burden that he had been carrying, this burden of guilt and shame and sin, rolled off his back and rolled into the tomb. Never to be seen again. And when I thought of this, I was literally rolling in the grass with joy. I probably looked crazier in that moment than I ever did in my entire life. Now, I know not everyone experiences the same kind of emotional response when they experience forgiveness in Christ. But did you experience, did you experience grief over your sin and joy at your forgiveness? Are you experiencing that now? Salvation is not just about something you did back there. It's right here. It's right now. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 10, 22. Are you thankful for your salvation? Do you still love Jesus? Or have you lost your first love? Remember the forgiveness that you've received. David prays in Psalm 51 that Joshua read for us earlier. David's prayer of repentance, repentance. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. David prayed that because he'd been convicted of his grievous sin. I wonder, do you need to pray that now? Do you need to ask the Lord to restore unto you the joy of your salvation? Now, this isn't about morbid introspection. This is ultimately about keeping your eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. As Robert Murray McShane declared, for every look itself, take ten looks at Christ. Hebrews 12, 2, look into Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. I strongly recommend you get yourself a copy of Valley of Vision. It's a collection of primarily Puritan prayers. And as you read those prayers, and as you pray those prayers, notice how often the prayers begin with heartfelt grief over sin, and it leads them to a focus, a singular focus on Jesus Christ. Now, I know that crying doesn't necessarily mean repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief and worldly grief initially look the same. They look the same. But whereas worldly grief is temporary grief over temporal consequences for sin, (laughs) godly grief is one that, that understands that sin is committed against a holy God. And godly grief is not temporary, it leads to repentance, which leads to fruit in keeping with repentance. It leads to earnestness, eagerness to clear yourself, indignation, fear, longing, zeal, punishment. All of these things are the evidence of repentance that Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians seven eleven. John the Baptist had warned his hearers, ironically, the Pharisees, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew 3, 8. Well, and that takes us to the Pharisee's response to the woman and to Jesus. Verse 39. The Pharisee's response to the woman and to Jesus. When the Pharisee saw the interaction between the woman and Jesus, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The Pharisee saw all that transpired, and looked at it all with disdain, which is something the Pharisees were very good at. His mental conversation condemned the woman and slandered Jesus. The Pharisee sat on the judgment seat in his own mind, pounding the gavel, proclaiming, unclean, wicked, sinner. He is a Pharisee. He would certainly have never let this woman touch him. He'd have nothing to do with her. And... He would do nothing except to condemn her. Later in his ministry, Jesus will pronounce woe on the Pharisees for exactly this kind of attitude. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Matthew 23, 13. The Pharisees did not help sinners. They only sought to cast judgment and burdens upon them. But let's consider this in our own context for a moment. What would you think if we were gathered here on a Sunday like this morning, about to receive the Lord's Supper, and a homeless man, shabby, with dirty clothes, walked in through those doors, He takes a seat directly in front of you. There's no social distancing here at all. The pungent aroma is an overwhelming blend of urine and body odor and alcohol. And then it hits you, not the smell, but who he is. You recognize this man. You have seen him downtown repeatedly, intoxicated, panhandling. And Pastor Joshua dis- discusses the, the communion service and, and what we're about to do, and, and he cautions you to examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Ask yourself, what would you be doing in that moment? Would you be examining that man's heart or your own heart? That man's heart or your own heart? Would you hope that this man is indeed has come to repentance and faith or would you instead judge him? And what would you do after the service? Would you take the time to talk to him about the Lord Jesus Christ and and to encourage him, hopefully in his newfound faith? Or would you avoid him? Would you seek to show hospitality to him or would you seek out your friends instead? Remember, hospitality is stranger love. It's not just having your friends over for dinner. Hospitality, though you should do that too, hospitality is more than that. It's not just about talking to your friends before or after the church service. It's about going out of your way to welcome the stranger. To welcome someone who is maybe very different from you, at least on the outside. It's making the stranger a priority. It's loving the stranger. G. Campbell Morgan says, the Pharisee could not see that woman as she then was, for he was looking at her as she had been. I wonder how often do you and I do that? The woman and her reputation repulse the Pharisee. But Jesus sees her quite differently, differently. and therein lies an an even bigger problem in the Pharisee. The Pharisee is slandering Jesus. Consider the Pharisee's words again. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and what she was. He's not just questioning whether Jesus is a prophet, he is concluding that Jesus is not a prophet. He is saying that Jesus did not know what she was. Jesus didn't know, and so he didn't rebuff her. He did not separate himself from this sinful woman as he, Simon the Pharisee, would have done. Well, Jesus is about to prove otherwise. He's about to prove not only that he does have prophetic discernment, but he's about to demonstrate something that we have seen already repeatedly, that Jesus is much more than a prophet. The Pharisee is blind to reality. He can't see the irony of of his judgment of this woman or Jesus. Luke's audience, and we know what's going on. We know that this woman is repentant. We know that Jesus is God's Son who has come into the world to seek and save the lost. We know this from Luke, from later in Luke 19. We know from John 3:17 that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, that he might save the world through him. Now we come to the central part of the passage. Jesus' response to the Pharisee, verses 40 to 47. Right off the bat, we see that the Pharisee's assessment of Jesus is wrong. The Pharisee hadn't made his comment out loud. He had said it to himself. But Jesus answers him. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. He's using the Pharisee's name. Jesus is is revealing here something about who he is. He's also revealing something, he's about to reveal something about the woman And something about Simon himself. Simon, I have something to say to you. Now I wonder what was going through Simon's mind as he answered using the respectful title, Say it, teacher. I wonder if his heart began to beat just a little bit louder as he was wondering what's coming. In verses 41 and 42, Jesus tells a parable that reveals that he knew what sort of man the Pharisee was. And it reveals also that he knew what sort of woman this was. He reveals that the sinful woman was forgiven. and reveals that Simon the Pharisee is still sinful and is not forgiven. Verses 41 and 42. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Now, money lending was a common practice in the ancient Near East. In some areas, it was actually a common way to earn a living by charging interest. But in Israel, however, the charging of interest was actually illegal. It was forbidden in the Old Testament. Nonetheless, nonetheless usury was commonly charged. In fact, it was even codified in the oral tradition, in the Mishnah. A person could remain in bondage to debt, a hole that he could not get out of. Now, in some cases, not much has changed. Household debt in North America is at an all-time high. Imagine that you ran into financial difficulties, something that, that many of us can relate to. In Jesus' parable, both are not a small amount of money. A denarius was a daily wage of a soldier or a laborer. 500 denarius then would have been almost 2 years wages and 50 denarii, denarii denarii sorry would have been around 2 months wages and there's the plot twist a common feature in Jesus parables used to, to drive the point home when they couldn't pay the money lender canceled their debts I think the NASB gets it better here. He graciously forgave them both. The word is the same word that is used to describe God's gracious forgiveness of our sin. Money lenders didn't go around forgiving debts and they still don't. Imagine if you were in financial trouble and your creditor came to you and said, we have decided to cancel your car loan. You'd be ecstatic. Ecstatic. But imagine if, instead, he actually came to you and said, we've actually decided to cancel your mortgage. You'd be over the moon. This sort of thing just doesn't happen. Well, what is Jesus teaching here? As is usually the case in his parables, each element or character in the parable represents a truth that Jesus is teaching. So in this parable, the money lender is God. The two debtors are two sinners. The one more sinful than the other. The one with the greater debt is more sinful. In this case, the woman. And the one with the lesser debt in this case is Simon the Pharisee. And the question comes, which would love the money lender more? The one with the lesser debt or the one with the greater debt? Well, now in verse 40, 43, Simon the Pharisee speaks out loud, but reluctantly. The one... I suppose, from whom he has canceled the larger debt. Danker calls this grudging, a grush, grudging admission. Simon gets the point. But there is no sense that we can see that his heart towards Jesus has changed. Not one iota. And Jesus says to him, you have judged rightly. The Pharisee had judged The parable rightly but he had judged the woman and judged Jesus wrongly. Well now Jesus drives the point home in verses 44 to 46. Then turning to the woman he said to Simon do you see this woman? I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss but from the time I came in she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So Luke, the master narrator, narrator, is giving us information that we hadn't known earlier. All of these things were common courtesy in that culture. The washing of feet and anointing the head of oil of guests was customarily done by a servant. It was, it was courteous, but wasn't necessarily obligatory. At least Though at least water should have been provided so the guest could wash his own feet. A kiss on both cheeks was the culturally appropriate way to greet a guest. But Simon the Pharisee didn't do that either. Think back to my illustration of the homeless man or any guest coming into our church. What is the culturally appropriate greeting in our culture? What is the biblically appropriate greeting? This is not just about social conventions. You can do what is appropriate and hate your guests. It's about love. Jesus would be kissed on another occasion, but it would not be an act of love, but an act of betrayal. The question for each of us is, what does your love say about you? Or what does your lack of love say about you? Jesus is is directly applying this parable to Simon comparing his lack of hospitality with her devotion. Again, this is ironic. It's a bitter irony. The woman has served Jesus in a way that would have been appropriate for the host, but Simon the Pharisee, who had judged this woman for breaking social conventions, was himself guilty of at least that, but in actuality, he was guilty of so much more. Well, now in verse 47, Jesus makes the point of the parable explicit. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. Jesus reveals that contrary to Simon the Pharisee's contention, Jesus knew exactly who this woman was. He knew exactly who it was that had been kissing him. She had committed many sins. Jesus reveals that he isn't looking at her past, but at her present. The sinful woman's love for Jesus reveals that she has received his forgiveness. And Simon the Pharisee's lack of love reveals that he has not received Jesus' forgiveness. The woman's love did not earn forgiveness. It was the natural response to the forgiveness that she had received. Her love is evidence that she had been forgiven. You know the saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. The smoke doesn't cause the fire. The smoke reveals the presence of the fire. So in this case, Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying that where there's love, there's forgiveness. Where there's love, there's forgiveness. The love doesn't produce the forgiveness, but the love reveals that the forgiveness has been received. Those who truly love Jesus are those who have truly experienced his forgiveness. Now, I've heard many testimonies over the years of people saying, I didn't do this and and I didn't do that. People tend to compare themselves with each other. Now, I have no illusions about my past. I know how wicked my past was. But there's a great danger in comparing ourselves with each other. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's helpful here. When I was teaching phys ed in Australia to primary school students, so the, 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 the little kids, grade, grade ones and twos, when they would jump, they would, they would doing long jump, they would, would jump maybe a meter. And then in trying to show them the proper technique, I would come along and jump four, well, not really five meters. I'm not a very good jumper. So compared to those kids, I look pretty good. One meter versus, we'll say, four. Not very much compared to the world record, which is 8.95 meters. But the reality is whether it's one meter or four meters or nine meters, none of us come close to the standard. The requirement is like jumping from here to Vancouver. None of us compare to the righteousness that we should reveal. None of us compare to the love that we should exhibit. But awareness of your own sinfulness through the conviction of the Holy Spirit is an essential step in coming to Jesus in repentance and faith. The reality is, if you have been forgiven, you have been forgiven much you have been forgiven much. We've all been forgiven much. Do you love Jesus? If so, you have received his forgiveness. Just stop and reflect for a moment what that means. Receiving receiving forgiveness from Jesus means that you don't ever have to worry about anything else in your life ever again. Nothing. Your greatest problem was that you were living as the enemy of God. No other problem compares to that problem. But Jesus has solved that problem for you by becoming the sin bearer, by bearing the wrath that you and I deserved in his body on the cross for our sins. Jesus has taken care of that problem, and in so doing, he's taken care of every other problem you will ever experience. This is not hyperbole, this is reality. But the problem for us so often is that we, we don't see things in light of reality. We, we get focused on the minutiae. We, we zero in. And as I said earlier, this is not about morbid introspection. We should be aware of our sin, but let that lead you to Christ. You need to preach the gospel to yourself daily. But this leads us to another question. How do you know that you love Jesus? How do you know? Is it a bunch of, of warm, fuzzy feelings? Well, now some might experience th- those sorts of, of emotion, that sort of emotional response to Jesus, but that in itself is not a reliable test. It has to be more. We can't wash Jesus' feet with our tears but we can, we can reveal through our lives the tangible response of the one who has experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. This is an indicative verb. It is a statement of fact. If you love me, you are going to keep my commandments. That's part of the smoke that the fire produces. John lists love for God and the subsequent keeping of his commandments as evidence of salvation in, in 1 John 5 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. In the words of the renowned theologians, DC Talk, love is a verb. As much as that woman loved Jesus, she did not yet understand what Jesus was going to do for her. Remember from last week that we have a blessing that even those who walked with Jesus, even that woman who was able to, to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and to, to kiss his feet and to anoint his feet with perfume, even that great blessing is not anything compared to the blessing that you and I have. Living in the time that we do after the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. We now understand the gospel in a better way than even she did. Jonathan Edwards, in his his book, The Religious Affections, says, How can they sit and hear of the infinite height and depth and length and breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus, of His giving His infinitely dear Son to be offered up a sacrifice for the sins of men and of the unparalleled love of the innocent and holy and tender Lamb of God manifested in His dying agonies, His bloody sweat, His loud and bitter cries and bleeding heart, and all this for His enemies? to redeem them from deserved eternal burnings and to bring to unspeakable and everlasting joy and glory and yet be cold and heavy and insensible and regardless. We can't. There will be a response in the heart of the believer to the forgiveness that he or she has received From him. Now it's not going to be different. It's not going to be the same in every person. It's going to be different. It's going to also ebb and flow during the the days and weeks and months and years of our lives. But lest you come away distraught. Let me quote again from the religious affections. Grace and love, grace and the love of God in the most eminent saints in this world is truly very little in comparison of what it ought to be. Because the highest love that ever any attained to in this life is poor and cold, exceedingly low and not worthy to be named in comparison of what our obligations appear to be. started reading the religious affections in preparation for a sermon that I was going to preach from 1st John on the assurance of salvation. And ironically, as I read the religious affections, I came away thinking, am I even a Christian? My love is, is nothing compared to, to, to that which Jonathan Edwards is, is proclaiming here. But you know what I did? I got on my knees and I prayed to God, asking for forgiveness for my, my often cold and dry heart. And do you know what happened? God flooded my heart with love for Him. You cannot be saved by your religious affections. But those who are saved will produce religious affections through the power of the Holy Spirit and grow in the same. If you are feeling uncomfortable right now with your lack of love for God, go to God. Ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him to fill you with love for Him. That is a prayer He is going to answer. Thank God that we aren't saved by our love for God, but by His love for us. Let's finally see Jesus' response to the woman in verses 48 to 50. Jesus now speaks directly to the woman. The first time He speaks to her in this passage, she's been there listening the whole time. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now forgiven here is in the present tense. She was forgiven in the past and the results continue into the present. This is a done deal. Jesus is not just pronouncing her forgiven. He's pronouncing that he has forgiven her everything. Now where have we heard that before? Remember back in Luke 5 20, when the friends lowered the paralytic through the roof. And Jesus said when he saw their faith, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And as I said in the introduction, the Pharisees who were there charged Jesus with blasphemy, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now yeah, they're half right. Only God can forgive sin. They didn't understand that the God-man was right there in their midst. And the people gathered around the table wondered as well. They began to say, who is this who even forgives sins? This is the central question. There's a central question in this passage. as one that can, going to continue through Luke. Who is this? Luke often begins questions, starting uh, referring to Jesus. Who? Who is he? Teacher? Prophet? Messiah? He is someone whose greatness they had not even begun to comprehend. Jesus is has the authority to forgive sins. Not just to pronounce them forgiven, but to actually forgive. Jesus is more than a prophet. Jesus is God. Jesus has authority. The word, that you, uh, the verb forgiven here is in the perfect tense and it's also in the, the passive voice. It's pointing to the fact that the forgiveness came from God. She is the passive recipient of Forgiveness. Jesus has authority to pronounce sins forgiven. The forgiveness is fully and completely accomplished through the authority of Jesus Christ. The Gentile centurion had recognized Jesus' authority. The sinful woman had recognized Jesus' authority, but the Pharisees did not. And finally, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus ignores the others sitting around the table. His focus is on her. He says, your faith has saved you. Again, it's not her love. Her love is evidence that she has received forgiveness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And he says to her, go in peace. Go in peace with God through Jesus Christ. Christ. The woman leaves at peace with God, but the Pharisee remains still hostile to God. Friends, we need to understand what took place here. We need to understand as well what is taking place here. You have heard, again, the call of the gospel. What is your response? Is your response one of love at the forgiveness you've received? Again, your love is not what saves you. It is the forgiveness. It is God's love that saves you. Will you leave this room at peace with God? Or hostile with God. At the outset of Jesus' ministry, he quoted Isaiah 61. Remember in, in uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 1, uh, 18 and 19, this whole passage speaks of the, the suffering servant of the Lord. Isaiah 61, 1-3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus quoted this at the outset of his ministry in chapter 4 and he he quoted it again to the disciples of John the Baptist in chapter 7, verse 22. Jesus has come to wipe away every tear from the eyes of his people. Are you here? There's one this morning Was yes, grieved over your sin but received with love and thanksgiving, the forgiveness that you found in Jesus Christ. In Revelation 21, verse 4, we read that, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There should be no, there, there, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The woman went away with her sins forgiven. The Pharisee, unforgiven. I wonder how many others came away from Jesus' earthly ministry with the promise of eternal life. And how many came away with the sentence of death? How will you leave this morning? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your amazing grace. That saved a wretch like me. Lord, we praise you for your amazing grace that saved so many in this room, also wretches. Lord, we committed different sorts of sins and the eyes of the world, some of us would have looked more respectable. Some of us would have had better reputations than others, some worse. But Lord, we praise you that you have made us the objects of your love that you sent your son into the world to die for the sins of your people. We praise you, Lord, for your love and your forgiveness. Help us, Lord, we pray, to respond with love and gratitude for all that you've done for us in Christ. I pray if there are those who are here this morning, Lord, who have not received forgiveness, Lord, those who are for those who are still dead in their trespasses and sins, may you cause them to see Christ and all that he has done. May you cause them to see their own sin and cause them to flee to Christ. For the forgiveness can be found only in him. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.